Of the Festivals of the Church, and particularly of Christmas, by Daniel Caudry. The third part of his diatribe triplex, or a threefold exercitation concerning superstition, will worship, and the Christmas festival. Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. Cyprian, Epistle 73 Frustra nobis, qui ratione vincimur, consuetudinem opponunt. Of Christmas and Other Festivals of the Church Section 1. It is true indeed that when the Apostle says, 1 Corinthians 11.16, If any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God, from hence may be made, 1. Negatively, we, or the churches, have no such custom, ergo, they are contentious that would induce any new practice into the church, 2. Affirmatively, we apostles and the churches of Christ have such a custom, ergo, they are contentious that oppose or reject it. But the force of the consequence is far stronger in the negative, which is the inference of that text, than in the affirmative, unless some other considerations be put in. For example, the apostolical church had no such custom as the sacrifice of the Mass, praying for or to the dead, worshipping of images, etc. Ergo, they are contentious and superstitious who bring them into the church. On the other side, it will not follow the apostolical church had a custom to observe the Sabbath of the Jews when they came amongst them, to circumcise, sometimes to abstain from blood, etc., to avoid offense and win the Jews, Ergo, they that go about afterwards to lay down these are contentious. This will no ways be admitted. The reason is because the apostles afterwards repealed those Jewish customs. Two cautions, therefore, must be added to make the affirmative constringent. First, that the custom which is pleaded for be brought into the church by the apostles themselves for gospel worship, for, he says, we have no such custom, nor the churches of God. The gospel churches by us planted. Second, that the custom pleaded and grounded truly, if not so clearly, upon the word of God. For this is no good argument against a rational disputant. The present church of Rome, suppose, or any church some century or more of years after the apostles, hath such or such a custom, ergo we must receive it, unless we be counted contentious. But this is thought a good inference. The apostolical purest church had a custom to observe the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, instead of the old Sabbath. Ergo, that day was instituted by the apostles, and they that reject it or profane it are more than contentious, even sacrilegious. 
and upon these considerations the doctor hath consulted ill to his own cause to produce this text for his festival. For he dare not say it was instituted by the apostles, nor can prove it was observed by the prime and purest church, though he oft assert it, then the inference is strong against him. The apostle and prime apostolical church had no such custom as the observation of Christmas. Ergo, they are contentious who plead for its continuance. It matters not, then, what the ancient usage of the Church of England hath been, if it began not with the apostles in the first churches. Which of the feast of Christ's nativity cannot, I think, be proved? I am sure is not performed by the learned doctor. Nor yet that the Church of England was extant in the apostles' times, or, if it were, that this custom of Christmas was from the beginning of the plantation of the gospel amongst us, which yet he undertakes to manifest. Second, the latter he first begins with, and that it is thus ancient he will prove, quote, by one objection against, that is, the retaining of some heathen usages and the observation of it, which are undeniable testimonies of the antiquity and uninterrupted continuance of this practice, even from the time of our first conversion. For otherwise it is not imaginable how any heathen usage should be found adherent to it. End quote. But this is no way constringent, for they might be added, together with the festival itself, some good while after the first conversion of some part of this island, the better to win the rest to a liking of Christian religion by conforming to them in celebration of festivals, as the like was done to win the Jews in observing the old Sabbath, Pentecost, etc. Quote, the apostles, says the doctor, to attract the Jews to the Christian religion, did gratify them in retaining many of their customs. End quote. That was for a time, but after cast them off. And this festival being substituted instead of the old Saturnalia in the same month as is confessed by many and the doctor himself, no marvel if some heathen usages stuck close to it and could not since be gotten out. For those heathen usages continued by the ruder multitude, and others too, though they have been, quote, no part of the office of the feast, end quote, yet do they fully hold out these two things. 1. Quote, How easy a thing it is for such ill usage to creep into human ordinances. 2. How hard it is to get them out, when once got in, being ready to plead prescription. End quote. Seeing after so long a time as fifteen or fifteen hundred years continuance, as the doctor thinks they still attend the festival, people being more tenacious to customs, received by the tradition of their fathers than of the very institutions of God. Section 3. 4. For the former, that the conversion of England was early is very likely, but not so early as is pretended, but not proved, 
For as the histories and monuments are very obscure and doubtful, differing much one from another, so the doctor himself is very uncertain where to place the beginning or who was the instrument of our conversion. Quote, it may be believed either apostolical or very near the apostles' times. End quote. Fain would he have us think it was by some apostle if he knew how to make it out. Some affirm it was Simon Zelotes, section 6, quote, and there was some color for the affirmation of Simon Metaphrastes that St. Peter stayed in Britain, quote, sometimes converted many and constituted churches and ordained bishops in the twelfth year of Nero's reign, end quote. But he slurs his author thus, Quote, the authority of this writer is not great. End quote. He might have said, nothing worth being contradicted by so many others and by the doctor himself by and by, yet it might be near the apostles' times by some apostolical men. Some say, father by Joseph of Arimathea, for so Mr. Camden reports from as ancient records and credible as any we have, for we have none very ancient or very credible, quote, that Joseph of Arimathea planted Christianity here coming out of France, end quote. Belike Crescens sent him hither to convert the Britons, if he did not come and do it himself. For so the doctor would have it and proves it out of Scripture, Second Timothy 4, verse 10, Crescens, sent by Paul, was gone into Galatia, where Galatia may signify France, as some authors take it, and the doctor is willing to believe it. For presently, though others contradict, he takes it for granted when he says, quote, What is so early affirmed in Scripture of the communicating of the gospel to France, that is, by Crescens, which is so near to us, removes all improbability from those histories which record the plantation of the gospel in these islands in the Apostles' times. Quote. It is easy to believe that Crescens, if he were in France, might quickly step over into England, but the former is yet to prove. For the doctor knows very well that very learned men deny that Galatia was there taken for France, but for a part of Asia, which is far enough from England. Yea, they demonstrated, as they think, that it was not meant of France, for which I refer him to Estius on the place, 2 Timothy 4.10. However, whether Crescens were ever in France or no, sure he was not in England to convert the nation. Hear the doctor's own words, quote, This, which he had said before, is an evidence that neither Peter, nor Paul, nor Crescens, nor any of those that usually accompanied either of those two apostles did bring the Christian faith to this island. Quote. He might have added, nor Joseph of Arimathea, nor Simon Zelotes, upon the reason there by him given. The affirmation of Gildas that this was in Tiberius's reign was mere tradition and far from probability. For then England should be converted within four years after Christ's death. In the eighteenth year of Tiberius, our Lord suffered, and Tiberius reigned but twenty-two in all. No authors of any credit lay it so high. 
As for Tertullian and Origen, they lived both in the 3rd centuries, above 200 years after Christ. And it is very likely Christianity was planted here in some parts some time before them. But it is very observable that neither of those ancients, nor any before them in all their writings, ever mention the Feast of the Nativity as then in observation, though they often speak of other usages of the church before, before in, in their times. The most probable opinion is that though some persons of this, as of most nations, were converted early to the faith, yet the nation, or any considerable part of it, was not converted till King Lucius, his time, about the year of Christ 180, the first Christian king in the whole world, which is a great honor to our nation. This was done, say historians, in the time of Eleutherius, then bishop of Rome, who lived towards the end of the second century, and his epistle to King Lucius, if that be authentic, for the doctor doubts it, and well he may, if he do but remember what a learned historian says, doth not say that Britain had long ago, before Lucius's time, received the faith, but rather nuper, lately. And so it was in the Latin, in the doctor's margin, but wisely left out in the English, which, why it was done, let others judge. Historians say that King Lucius desired of Eleutherius that he and his people might have some sent to baptize them, who accordingly sent Fugatius and Demianus. Now, if Christianity had been planted here from the Apostles' times or by the apostolical men, it's not probable that they left no presbyters here to baptize, but that they must send to Rome for such, which would give Romanists a fairer plea to subject England to Rome than that of Augustine the monk, which the doctor disputes so much against hereafter. Fifth. Diocletian's persecution falls in the beginning of the 4th century after Christ, before which time we hear of Christianity planted here, and it may be the Feast of the Nativity was set up in some churches before this time, but not universally in all, quote, till about 400 years after Christ, as we shall hear the doctor confess, before we have done, though he pleads hard to prove it a custom of the church in all ages, and this may serve anon to answer that which will be produced for the festivity that Diocletian slew 20,000 Christians assembled together on that day, though the author of that report is of no great credit. 6. Quote, the celebration of Easter by the ancient British churches, contrary to the custom of the Western churches, End quote. will give little light to the main question concerning the first plantation of the gospel here by the apostles, etc., or the antiquity of the festival pleaded for. It may indeed argue that England did not receive Christianity first from Rome in Augustine's time, but does not prove that those that planted Christianity here, quote, were such as in the apostolical times kept their Easter after the Jewish manner, end quote. For the Eastern Christians commonly kept it so, but not in the Apostles' times, which the doctor takes for granted, but is denied him, and that upon these reasons. First, 
There is no mention of either the institution or observation of it in Scripture, nor any ground to found it upon. The apostles did take advantage of that, and the like solemnities, to preach to the Jews to convert them, as was said afore, but so far were they from institution of them as Christian feasts that they do expressly repeal them and cry them down. Second, Socrates the historian says, quote, The apostles were not solicitous to appoint any festival dates at all, end quote, then not this of Easter. Third, the difference of the observation of it in the Eastern and Western churches makes it evident it was not instituted by the apostles, for then it would be uniformly observed in all places. And as for the authority of the succeeding church in such matters, we shall meet with it anon. Yet this we say at present, that the observation of Easter hath better antiquity than this of Christmas, though not apostolical. 7. But the doctor hath found one evidence of moment. Quote, Christmas Day is called in our old monument Midwinter Day, whence it may reasonably be concluded that when that time was first applied to that day, Christmas Day was in the calendar either coincident with or not far removed from the winter solstice, and we continue to call the 24th of June Midsummer Day, half a year from the 25th of December. End quote. How sweetly all agree! John Baptist was conceived six months before our Lord, and so born six months before him. Hence the feastmasters plead his birth on the 24th of June, and his and our Lord's on the 25th of December. First, but I would be satisfied. Which is the older festival, that of John or this of Christ? It's observed by Chemnitius that the Feast of the Nativity was not heard of in the most ancient church till towards the 400th year, but no mention of the Feast of John Baptist till towards the 800th year. Or it may be they were both appointed about the same time upon supposition then by the Western Church that our Savior was born on the 25th of December, as the doctor says, and the Feast of Nativity settled upon that day, either they or some others placed the Feast of John the Baptist on the 24th of June, that all might correspond. Second, if the names of Midwinter Day and Midsummer Day were so called here, while the island was heathen, they were far more ancient than Christmas Day. And then, Christmas Day was rather applied to Midwinter Day than Midwinter Day to Christmas Day. But however it was, it follows not, as the doctor would have it, quote, that it must be soon after our Saviour's times that this day was capable of that appellation, and consequently that the day was here celebrated so early. End quote. For it might be a good while after, so called, when the island was first converted, which was not, as we have discoursed, till towards the end of the second century. Third, it is confessed by the doctor, quote, that Midwinter Day is a fortnight sooner than our Christmas Day, the solstice being about the 11th of December, end quote. Then say I, 
They kept not Christmas Day on Midwinter Day, for that's a fortnight sooner. So we keep it not on the same day with our first converts, nor yet on the day that the Western Church now keeps it, who keeps it stilo novo, ten days before us. Which difference of observation, as was said of Easter, argues it not to be apostolical, nor soon after our Savior's days, as the doctor says. For if they had instituted such a feast to the honor of our Savior, they would have all agreed upon the same day in all places as they did in observation of the Lord's Day for our Christian Sabbath. 8. Upon those premises, he draws out two corollaries or characters set upon this or any other Christian solemnity, Easter, Pentecost, etc., of immemorial usage in this nation. Quote, First, that the antiquity of it doth no way argue that it hath anything of the corruptions of the Roman see adhering to it, but the contrary. End quote. To which we have partly spoken of for, and now add, that as the observation of Easter, differently from the Western Church, doth argue that we receive not our Christianity from Rome, so the antiquity of the observation of Christmas and some other festivals, suppose in the 3rd or 4th century, may also argue that they have nothing of the corruption of the Roman See. We mean, since it was judged anti-Christian about the year 600, adhering to them but yet may have too much of the corruption of those churches wherein they were first invented. Corruption, we say, which crept into those churches not long after the apostles' days. It's known to all that read the histories of the church how many innovations and superstitions were crept into the church long before Rome began to be Babylon, and Romish religion is a bundle of most of those corruptions. 9. But for the second inference, quote, that any such ancient usage of this particular church, if it had no other ground to stand on as its foundation, or concurrence of all other churches as pillars to sustain it, were a very competent authority for the continuance of such a practice in this kingdom. End quote. We shall take leave to demur a little upon this, for Grant, as we may, that this Anglican or British church be very ancient by its foundation, and autocephalos for its authority, as subordinate to no foreign patriarch, yet we justly question, though the doctor do not, whether it be, quote, invested with such an unquestionable power, end quote, to institute what ceremonies it please, which may not upon good reasons be charged and abolished. It is known sufficiently that many ancient customs and ceremonies, as ancient perhaps as his Christmas, instituted or taken up by this and the concurrence of many, if not most churches, have, quote, without temerity, end quote, been altered and abolished, and others may and must, when they be abused to superstition and profaneness, as this feast will appear to have been, it will not be amiss here briefly to consider 
What that, quote, unquestionable power of this or any church is to constitute ceremonies for itself, as it shall judge most useful, most for edification, and most agreeable to the analogy of faith, which consequently may not, without great temerity, be changed and abolished by any, end quote. And then, whether this feast be a ceremony of that nature. For the first... The, quote, authority of the church to constitute ceremonies for itself, end quote, it is not justly called unquestionable, for it hath for many years past been the apple of contention between the prelates and the nonconformists. But before we debate it, we desire to know and be satisfied in two things. First, what he means by the church, whither the universal church, for he often speaks of that, and charges us, quote, with separation and schism for departure from the universal church, end quote. If so, I would say two things. First, that the universal church of the first ages, or since, never met to institute any ceremonies for all churches, nor in special for this of Christmas. Secondly, if they had met, yet that church had no power to bind after churches, if they met, if they saw cause to abolish them, for a reason anon to be given. But if he take it of a particular church, as this of England, as here he doth, then I say again, we read of no such canons made by the church at the first conversion, to make the usage so ancient, and to bind all her children in after ages, if we did find such, yet the succeeding church having the same power may annul, if she see cause, what was by them instituted. Second, we desire also to know what he means by ceremonies. For this is an ambiguous word under which the Romanists do shroud their superstitious will-worship. Ceremonies, then, are of two sorts— Mere circumstances of commanded worship, for the more orderly and decent performance of it, or parts of worship, as the Jewish ceremonies for certain were. If the doctor mean it in the latter sense, as I think he does, we must again distinguish of such ceremonies. They are either dumb and non-significant, as the Church of Rome hath many, or significant, and that either by nature or by institution. If significant by institution, then either by divine or human institution. These distinctions being premised, we suppose the doctor does not mean of the ceremonial circumstances or adjuncts of commanded worship, for that will not stand him in any stead. Nor does any man deny the church a power to order those. But he must mean it of ceremonial worship as opposed to moral, and that not for dumb or non-significant ceremonies, those he dislikes in the church of Rome, but for significant ceremonies, not significant by nature, those need no institution, but by institution, not divine, that were little less than a contradiction, but human institution. Then the question is this, quote, whether the church, 
universal for all churches, or a particular church for her own members, have an unquestionable authority to institute significant ceremonies as parts of worship, which may not, upon just reasons, be changed or abolished. End quote. This was the question to be proved, but is only taken for granted. In these particulars, by the doctor, first, that the church, whether universal or particular, hath such a power to institute ceremonies, unless they be such as tend to eutaxy and decency, and the preservation or furtherance of God's commanded worship, what and how many she please, quote, as she shall judge most useful, most for edification, end quote, etc., as the doctor says, but goes not about to prove, but takes it as unquestionable. This we do deny, and we think upon good reasons. Besides the judgment of reformed churches, if the church be allowed such a power, the mischiefs will be many. As, first, it's prejudicious to the simplicity of gospel worship. 2 Corinthians 11.3, the simplicity which is in Christ, that is, in the gospel of Christ. It was spoken with respect to the false apostles, who by their subtle, persuasive words to corrupt both the doctrine and worship of the gospel, as may appear by comparing this place with Colossians 2, the worship of the law was for the most part ceremonial in external pomp and service, but the worship of the gospel is less ceremonious and gaudy and more spiritual, John 4, in spirit and truth, opposed to those ceremonial, typical shadows and figures of the legal worship. The gospel worship is for the most part moral, praying, preaching, hearing, etc., without anything like to that ceremonial worship except the observation of the Lord's Day and the two sacraments designed and instituted by Christ himself or by his commission. But if the church have a power to institute ceremonial worship, she may bring us back to a legal worship equal with the Jews as the Church of Rome hath done. Second, if the church have any such power to institute ceremonies, they must be either non-significant ones, but those Protestants disclaim as idle fooleries or significant, and then either by nature or institution. Those of nature need no institution. If institution be pleaded, it must be either divine, but the church hath nothing to do with them, they are instituted to her hands, or human, but that's expressly against the second commandment, as hath been said elsewhere. God only can prescribe his own worship. Hence it was that those traditions of worship introduced by the false teachers are condemned, because they were the doctrines and commandments of men, Colossians 2.22, which, when our divines urge against such kind of ceremonial worship in the Church of Rome as human institutions, they have no way to avoid it but to say, ceremonies instituted by an human spirit, as ours are, are there commanded, but theirs are instituted by the Holy Ghost, joining with their pastors in the regiment of the church, as the Ramists speak, 
on Matthew 15, 9, and others more. And therefore, papists may better plead their binding power than ours can do. I shall add to this that to institute significant ceremonies as a part of worship is a superstitious excess, and so will worship, which I prove from the doctor's own concessions. Quote, to put more virtue and efficacy into things than either naturally or by the rule of God's word is in them is a nemeity, etc. End quote. So superstition. But for men to institute significant ceremonies for edification, to teach and instruct, etc., is to put more virtue and efficacy in them than naturally, or by the rule of the word, that is, divine institution, God put in them. Ergo, the major is the doctor's own, the minor is evident, they have it not by nature, nor by divine institution, then they needed not human institution, Ergo, it is superstitious, and consequently, the church hath no such power. Third, grant her but such power, and there will be no end of ceremonies. No man can tell where she will stay, unless some bounds be prescribed in Scripture. The doctor's qualifications, quote, that they be few and wholesome, end quote, have no ground to rest on. For who shall judge of the number or unwholesomeness without a rule? Nor any private man, that's denied, and very reasonably. Not a particular church, the universal may judge otherwise. Not the universal church of one age, for the next generation may be wiser and think them too few or too many. Not wholesome or unwholesome, and so may either multiply or annul them. See more of this in the Discourse of Superstition. Upon this ground grow all those more than Jewish ceremonies of the Romish Church, that of the first. Second, the doctor takes for granted also that the Church hath power to institute holy days, such as Christmas, and to make them equal with the Lord's Day. For of this he is speaking, while he gives the church this unquestionable power, but he cannot but know this is denied by many divines. Third, he also takes as yielded that there is some ancient institution of this church for his Christmas from our first conversion, which must be the ground for it to stand on, and a, quote, competent authority for the continuance of such a practice in this kingdom, End quote. But this he hath not proved. Fourth, once more he takes as granted quote, that such ceremonies or festivals established by a church may not, without great temerity, be changed or abolished by any. End quote. What? Not by the universal church? Not by the succeeding church? That were to make the laws of a particular church, like those of the Medes and Persians, unchangeable and equal with the laws of God, or else to cut short the succeeding church from the same privilege of the former. And so in time the church may lose all power to institute new ceremonies, or else ceremonies may be multiplied to the end of the world. 
and so much of the first, the authority of the church to institute ceremonies. A word of the next. Secondly, we must inquire whether if the church have any power to ordain any ceremonies, this of Christmas be such as she may ordain. We have said, and say again, to institute holy days and to make them parts of God's worship is a privilege of God alone. If now the doctor shall say, the church institutes this festival only as a circumstance or adjunct of worship commanded, it will be little to his purpose and makes it no more holy than any other day when the same worship is performed. But it is evident that in the Church of Rome, this and other festivals are not counted mere ceremonies in that sense, but as parts of divine worship, and so observed with greater solemnities and more ceremonies than the Lord's Day itself, which is both superstitious and sacrilegious. And thus it hath been with some, yea, many of our prelatical and cathedral men, esteemed and observed, not only as equally holy with the Lord's day, but with more solemn services, with more abstinency from labor and recreations, as we shall hear our doctor confess anon. We now consider what he says to prove the disusing of these feasts blamable. Section 10. Quote, These are part of that establishment which the Reformation in this kingdom hath enacted for us by act of Parliament. End quote. To this we say, First, the Reformation formerly made in this kingdom we have good cause to bless God for, but we know it was not so full and perfect as the Reformers themselves could have wished by reason of the times new come out of the darkness of popery and the tenaciousness of old customs received by tradition of their fathers. Second, this seems to grant that the Reformation and so the establishment of these festivals in this nation was made by the state and not by the church, which now is pleaded for. Section 11. Secondly, quote, This and other feasts of Christ are in the Reformed, especially the Lutheran churches, still retained, and where they are taken away in some churches by some sober members wished for. End quote. We answer to this, the churches that retain these feasts, especially the Lutherans, are not reputed the best Reformed churches, nor by the doctor himself, I believe, thought fit to be compared with England, etc., some other churches in doctrine and worship, and so not fit precedents for our Reformation. What private persons wish or say is not much to be regarded, unless their reasons be constringent. However, we are not alone, nor the first in this disusage of this festival. Some Protestant Reformed churches are with us and afore us. As for the sermons given to Christmas Day by some that now disuse it, wherein, quote, the whole body of their public devotions, end quote, is falsely said now to consist, their prayers being as good and as large as the liturgies, it will afford him no more succor than this, that the authority then in being, commanding vacation from work, 
They only took the opportunity to preach to prevent disorders in their people which attend such festivities, and the authority now in force, prohibiting, they do forbear to preach. Section 12. Third. The laying down or disusing the observation of this festivity, quote, is not an act of division or separation from either the particular Church of England or from the universal Church in all ages, especially that of the first and purest times, end quote. Not the latter for certain, for we have proved afore, the first and purest ages of the church did not observe it. Not the former, unless he will yield that the reformation of the church of England in former times was a division or separation from the church of Rome, or the reformation in Luther's time was a division and separation from the Catholic church, as papists say it was. Section 13. Fourth, if superstition and profaneness may be ground sufficient to lay aside a custom, the complexion of the times have long since invited to the laying aside the usage of this feast. His pretenses to the contrary are insufficient. First, the omission of Christmas sermons and services tends not to raise out of the minds of the ignorant sort the slender knowledge they have of the birth of Christ and consequent mysteries of religion, quote. For the gospel being read and preached on all the year long, they cannot but often hear of the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The knowledge which the ignorant people learned by some men's Christmas sermons was slender indeed, nothing but a superficial, as he, notional, carnal knowledge of one Jesus, as that Roman deputy spake, that was born at the time to give men liberty to feast and be merry. Second, this cannot, as he charges it, quote, gratify their worldly affections and assist atheism, etc., end quote, but rather to keep it, as usually they did, in all festival delights, like the revels of Bacchus, did both most gratify their worldly lusts and tended to atheism and profaneness. Third, the casuists, whose great reason he seems to applaud, affirming that, quote, the necessaries of belief for the vulgar sort are no more than the great holy days of the year, end quote, spake with as much, that is, as little reason, as their fellows the Jesuits, who say and affirm that, quote, images are the best layman's books instead of the scriptures, end quote. Fourth, the ejecting of these holy days out of the church will not any with, with, quote, dispatch the opinion of any necessity of believing the articles of faith, the creed being still to be retained in and with the catechism, end quote, for the ministers preaching constantly of those truths may help not only in some degree, as he, but very much and more than the great holy days of themselves can do and why not abundantly sufficient as it was in the first planting of churches before these festivals were invented. We have had enough experience that in those places, cathedral cities, where those festivals have been most punctually and solemnly observed, 
taking in their Christmas sermons too, there have been found less saving knowledge of Christ, more superstition, and more profaneness than in any country villages where the gospel hath been sincerely preached. Section 14. Quote, the impatience of sound doctrine and readiness to embrace whatever is novel, end quote, is not to be found in those of deeper, sound knowledge, but in the ungrounded professors of former times made formal Christians by external ceremonies and outward pomp of service. But those that endeavored to reform the abuses of superstition and profaneness are the men only or chiefly that propune and maintain sound doctrine, whereas those that were the greatest favorers of those festivities, some of them, either are fallen into the propagating of error, Arminianism, etc., or at least do little appear to maintain the truth. As for, quote, hospitality and charity at those times, end quote, it is observable in many strong pleaders for Christmas that they are willing enough to abate the charge of the feast, both then and all the year after, yet nobody hinders them from being hospitable and charitable. Section 15. Fifth. Quote, Whatever specious design was in the first institutors, end quote, of this piece of service of Jesus Christ, as after it is called, it matters not much. Gideon's design in making a golden ephod was very fair, to leave a monument of his victory. Quote, as a pious public acknowledgment of his thankfulness, end quote. Yet it proved a snare to him and his house and to all Israel. Many of the superstitions of the now Church of Rome had no doubt a pious design and a show of wisdom, but the issue hath been very mischievous. Even so, it hath happened to this institution now in hand. Section 16. There may indeed a threefold guilt and danger be charged upon the institution and continuance of this observance. Quote, 1. Of will worship because it is not commanded in the scriptures. 2. Of superstition and observing days. 3. Of riot frequent in such festivals. Quote. The two former, he says, he hath spoken to elsewhere. That is, quote, both in his treatises of will worship and superstition, and also in his practical catechism. End quote. In the two former, though something be said in general or in thesi, yet nothing that I observe in special or in hypothesi of this festival. Indeed, in his practical catechism, he hath undertaken the vindication of it from all these three charges, but more largely the two first there, and here more of the last, that of riot. We shall consider what he says in order. First, to free the festival from the charge of will-worship, he proceeds two ways. First, quote, in respect of those who retain the usage of it, they observe it in obedience to the laws of the church, and so it proceeds from obedience to superiors, a duty of the fifth commandment. End quote. This argument should not have had the first place, but the second in a just method. 
The doctor should first have proved that they that instituted the festival had a lawful power to do it before he proved them that observe the usage to be innocent. For may not papists plead the same argument for observation of not only their holy days, but of their invocation of saints, adoration of images, and the Mass itself? They do it in obedience to the laws of the Church, and so it proceeds from obedience to superiors, a duty of the fifth commandment. But to the particulars we may say many things. 1. Did he not a little before found the times or days designed to public worship upon the equity or morality of the fourth commandment? Hear what he says of the importance of that fourth commandment. Quote, it is a designation of time for the special performing of God's public worship. And again, quote, it is not only lawful but necessary to set apart some times for God's service. End quote. He means by that commandment. Then, say I, if the fourth commandment do necessarily require a designation of some time for worship, private as well as public, for so he resolves in answer to the next question there, does not the same commandment as necessarily require the observation or sanctification of that time, but it must be reduced to the fifth commandment? Let him remember what he says in his treatise of will worship, section 4. Quote, if the matter of the command were before commanded by God, twere then no longer obedience to the law of the magistrate, but only to God. The application is easy, and I add, must God be beholden to men, either for the designation or observation of his due time, by a duty from the fifth commandment? What if superiors be so profane as to set apart no time for God's worship, or not to enjoin and require the observation of that time? Is every man free to observe some or none at his pleasure? What if there be no public worship? What if a man be and live in places where neither time nor public worship is appointed by superiors? Is he now at liberty to take all time as his own? So it seems by this doctrine, if men observe times, Lord's Day, and others only as a duty to superiors in the fifth commandment. Second, he takes for granted that the designation of the sufficient time due and necessary by the fourth commandment is in the power of men, church, or state, which we say belongs only to God. Third, he also supposes that the church or state hath power to sanctify a time, quote, so that it must not ordinarily be mixed with profane and common uses, end quote, which we think God only can do. Fourth, he also takes it as granted that the church may design as little or as much, as few, or as many times or days as they shall think fit, and that ordinarily, quote, in every week or month or year, without superstition, as an act of piety, end quote, which we suppose they cannot do without prejudice to the fourth commandment, and to Christian liberty, seeing the burden of Jewish holy days is taken off by Christ, and we reduce to the fourth commandment, as for one day in seven to be holy, 
so for our allowance of six days for our own works. The result of this answer is this, that they that retain this usage of the festival, as a day made holy by the church or state, are both injurious to God in usurpation upon his prerogative in the fourth commandment, and also guilty of will-worship and holding up a worship not commanded by God against the second commandment. Second, quote, in respect to those who first instituted it, without command from others, in whom only it is called will-worship, they are free from guilt too. One, because among the Jews some feasts were instituted, that of Purim, and of the dedication, without command, etc. Two, free will offerings of this nature are to be the more, not the less acceptable for being voluntary. End quote. To this we say, in general, it may be will worship to observe what is commanded by others as well as to institute worship without a command. In special, to the first reason, the feasts instituted by the Jews we shall speak anon, here section 29. To the second of free will offerings we say, 1. These holy days of men's institution are not like those free will offerings of the old law, as we have showed, upon his treatise of will worship, section 29. 2. We add, it is not in the power of men to institute any worship not commanded by God, and is flatly against the second commandment. But these holy days are, by him, made parts of worship. 3. Suppose the Jews should have made more holy days yearly than God commanded, would they have been accepted? Should they not have heard who required these at your hands? we may guess by their fasts which they appointed. God instituted one fast only once a year upon the expiation day. They, in their captivity, appointed more in the fifth and seventh month yearly. But what acceptance found they? See Zechariah 7.5. When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast to me, even to me? And may not papists, who have a saint and an holy day, almost for every day in the year, be justified by this arguing? Hath it not a great show of wisdom, piety, devotion, to devote most of their time to God? Are not their freewill offerings the more acceptable because voluntary and uncommanded? Let no man say they dedicate those days to saints and invocate the saints, etc., and that makes them abominable. But suppose none of those but the holy days be, as the Church of England expressed herself, devoted only to the honor of God, but yet esteemed as more holy and as a worship of God, and more acceptable to God because voluntary, Even these and that other that is done without command of God will denominate them will-worship and so odious to God. And so much for that. Secondly, he comes now to vindicate it from superstition and says, Desidemonia signifies superstitium cultus, worshipping of demons or souls of dead men, 
but it's little less than blasphemy to number Christ with them, etc., End quote. To which we say, for the words desidemonia and superstition, we have considered it in his treatise of superstition and have found him granting the sense of them to be far larger than the worshipping of demons. And we have proved it rather to signify any false superadded worship not commanded of God as superstatutum, above the law of God. In a word, any false worship of the true God which is exemplified in many particulars there, amongst which this is one, quote, in placing the worship of God or more holiness in things, times, places, etc., than God hath placed in them, end quote, we shall consider what he says to vindicate this festival from it. First, Quote, the birth of Christ is a mercy of such excellent quality that it can never be overvalued. End quote. This is granted. But to institute a day as holy without command of Christ for an annual commemoration of this is above the power of any church and a superstitious presumption. And withal needless, considering that the Lord's Day, which includes the commemoration not only of his birth but of his resurrection, and the whole works of our redemption by him, was instituted by himself, or his apostles, by him authorized and inspired for this very end, and comes about once in every week. To limit it, therefore, to one day in a year, to remember that mercy is not an exaltation but a derogation from it. If this were done on his own design day, we need not fix another day. 2. Quote, the exercises done upon the day are acceptable duties any day, therefore upon this. End quote. True, but then any day whereon these duties are done is as holy a day as Christmas Day. Or if he think the duties are more acceptable for the day's sake, or for the voluntary dedication of it by men, I fear they will be so much less acceptable to God, and no better than superstition. 3. There may be excess in superstition in setting out a day every year as holy as a worship of God as superstatutum, where God requires but one in seven as holy for men to command more is too much presumption. His reasons against it are invalid. 1. Quote, because a duty cannot be formed without time. End quote. True, but without a set, a fixed holy time, it may. Here's a fallacy from time as a natural and necessary adjunct of an action to time as holy as worship, which yet is not observed by the doctor. For he with others seems to hold time in the fourth commandment to be only an adjunct of worship as of any other action. But we think time in the fourth commandment is a part of worship, and this I think they do make it in this present case, for they do not only make up the duties praying, praising, preaching, etc., a part of worship, which they are every day when they are performed, but the very dedication and observation of the day itself to be a voluntary oblation, a free will offering, an honor and service to Christ, as we shall hear. 2. Quote, 
Abraham, says he, rejoiced to see this day, and the angels rejoiced on the very day, end quote, etc. So would we if we knew the day, but this does not prove that they intended to set that day apart as holy without command from Christ, the Lord's day being appointed for that end. 3. The abstaining from labors is partly, though not only, the excess, for it makes necessary as a duty of an holy day, when God hath not made it necessary, having allowed six days for men's own works. And, though rest be agreeable to holy duties, festivities and fasting days of God's command, yet, then, it presupposes a command of God for those duties and days, or if the time be only an adjunct of those duties, then rest is necessary only naturali necessitate, not morali, because no man can solemnly for any time wait upon God and holy duties and his labors too. But this is necessary any day when holy duties are performed. 4. For the 25th day of December to be the day of Christ's birth, we shall speak to it hereafter, see section 36. Only we observe what he says upon the mistake of the day. Quote, that the mistake will be very pardonable in those who verily think they are not mistaken. They do perform the business of the day as completely and substantially on a mistaken day as on the true one and the excuse of blameless ignorance will wash away greater errors than this, if an error. Does not this sound somewhat like the papists' doctrine of venial sins? It puts me in mind of a subterfuge of Bellarmon and others when we object, upon their own confessions, that there may be danger of idolatry in the sacrament, if the bread be not transubstantiated into the body of Christ. They answer, quote, There is no danger of it to one that simply believes it is, and worshipping after his wonted manner. For in such things human certitude is sufficient. So Jacob's lying with Leah instead of Rachel, ignorantly, was not guilty of adultery, end quote, etc. This is, Chamier, quote, not to take away idolatry, but to stupefy the idolater. End quote. Can any ignorance be blameless against a law of God or wash away an error without the blood of Christ? Would not Christ have revealed the very day if he had intended the day to be kept holy as a worship of himself? But I shall put him a case. Suppose the Jews had mistaken the day of the week for the Sabbath, or the day of the month for the Passover, had they not sinned because they thought they were not mistaken? Had the, quote, business been as completely and substantially performed on a mistaken day as on the true one, end quote, when the very day was as strictly commanded as the business itself? Let him consider it. I shall here insert the judgment of the learned Chemnitius, who, though he allow the observation of this and other festivals, as a Lutheran, with a reservation of Christian liberty, without necessity of obligation, etc., yet he notes no less than thirteen ways or kinds of superstition in Papists' observation of holy days. 
we note some of them. 1. Quote, in placing holiness in the days which God hath not placed in them. 2. Esteeming the services then done better and more holy and acceptable than if done on other days. 3. Placing the worship of God on them and ceasing from labors and frequenting of churches. 4. Forbidding of labors on those days when they hinder not the public worship. 5. In the necessity of observation. 6. In the multitude of them, to which may be added that 7. They discriminate persons to be more or less holy as they observe or neglect them. And lastly, as more grace and blessing is expected from such voluntary, uncommanded observances. End quote. Now, how far many men amongst us are guilty of all, or some of these kinds of superstition, it remains to discover. This audio recording was read by Michael Ives. I hope you found it enlightening and edifying. Visit westportexperiment.com for more audio resources and where I write about parish missions, the care of souls, and all things Reformed.